Harris is a student at Howard University, also runs the social media for Howard Stirk Holding. Um, Gabe Nearman is a high school student out of Florida, and Jamil Jackson is a staff writer and social sheriff for The Thinker in Chicago. So, Kevin, let me start with you. Um, is Hunter Biden's corruption a big topic for Gen Z? Yes and no, I will say. Um, I believe that my generation cares about corruption a lot, um, regardless on which, whether, whether they're on the right or the left of the aisle. However, I don't believe that's the most important topic for our generation. I think that abortion and transsexual rights is definitely one of the most forefront issues of my generation. So why, why would you care so much about these transgender, transsexual issues and abortion? Well, me personally, I don't care uh, at all, pretty much. Uh, they can do whatever they want as long as it doesn't hurt me or my family. I don't really care, me personally. But other people, I feel like, try to push a certain narrative or agenda, and I can't speak on why they want to do that. Jamil, how, how do you feel about the social issues that Kevin just mentioned? I mean, obviously, they get a, so much uh, coverage in all the media. Is it deserving of this coverage? It, 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 do we give too much attention to it? Or this is just where your generation is? These are the issues that they care about. I think his premise is correct, but the underlying issue is families, things that lead teenagers to have unprotected sex and then go on to get abortion. Most times it's the father not being in the home. So I would say the issue that's not being talked about, that's the underlying issue, is that we have so many broken families in our country. But going back to your original question, I do believe that the Biden corruption is incredibly important. Just because if Republicans were not in control, we wouldn't find out about any of this. And I think that's something we all need to wake up and start thinking for ourselves rather than being fed constant narratives about abortion and about other things that, again, is a downstream problem from families being broken across the country. Talk more about the brokenness of the family and what we define as families today. Uh, I just read about the actor that uh, probably of drug overdose um, of your generation. You hear more and more of the suicide. You hear the fentanyl. Uh, talk about the brokenness of the family. It doesn't seem that the likes and the dislikes on social media, um, wearing the latest fashion and the latest bling is enough to fulfill them. Jamil. Yes, uh, you also bring up a great point. I think family has... I think the left has to redefine a lot of things, and one of them is being family. They're telling us that families are not actually broken. Um, it's okay if you have a single mother who is struggling to take care of a family of three. We're being told that it's okay for children to be delinquent, to like uh, steal from stores, to be in and out of jail, being career criminals. We're being told that's okay. And I think this is a downstream from the left, again, redefining what family is and the lack of I guess, God or just a male figure centering a family. Many times when there's a problem in the home, it goes, it, it's sort of monetized to go on social media, especially with Gen Z, and to get clicks, to make money from it, it becomes a, sort of a hobby or 
uh, a career for most people and rappers especially to monetize broken families. Kevin? Absolutely. I mean, I personally feel like one of the biggest issues for our generation is mental health issues. I think a lot of the things that we see today, whether it be the mass school shootings, whether it's uh, a 60-year-old man thinking that he is a six-year-old girl and then going to live as a six-year-old girl and leaving his entire family. I think that we have a lot of mental health issues that we don't address as a society. And I feel like that is the m biggest thing that needs to change, honestly. So, Gabe, um, you're 16. And I have your parents' permission to have you on tonight. Um, you're listening to the conversation. What are the what are the challenges for high school kids, your age group, as you listen to this discussion? Well, I think mental health is definitely a big issue. We sometimes the teachers have to do mandatory mental health kind of like classes, and they learn teach us about suicide, depression, what you should do if you're experiencing things like that. A lot of lot of kids at my school sometimes try to cover up their mental illnesses with drugs and other stuff like that. So, so talk about, I, I noticed we put a lot of the pressure on the teachers in the classroom to sort of have to deal with these issues head on. But what about the household? Gabe, let me come at you. What about the importance of fathers and the mothers involved in these kids' lives? Is there a disconnect with the parents? as to why um, they take this to the classroom. Are they crying out? Are they crying out for help? Are they looking for an adult? Do they really want someone to tell them right from wrong, to give them real self-esteem and real self-worth? Do they really want someone to discipline them? Does the media and the left woke media have it all wrong? I think some of that is definitely true. I do know a lot of kids with broken families and they take it out and, you know, normal, I guess, teen ways, but pretty drugs, doing illegal things, just stuff like that. Sometimes, you know, they can take it out on other people. It definitely shows. But, you know, you have a strong two-parent household. Even with the two-parent household and a close bond with your mother and father, it's still, you still have your own pressures of being a teenager in school. You have your own issues to deal with. And just imagine kids that don't have that support system. Talk about that. And why, and why do kids feel so overwhelmed? And when you define this thing called mental illness, what brings about this mental illness? And what is it that we're missing to help kids deal with it better and to overcome? So actually about the two-parent household, a few months ago my dad moved out, so that's not me anymore. But I definitely felt the normal feelings a teenager should feel at that time. You know, I went through it mostly by myself, and thankfully it turned out all right. And I do see a lot of other kids um, with the split households. Most of them, or not most, but maybe half and half have, you know, pretty normal. I'm not really sure what it's like at home, because not my home, but they definitely, you can go either way. Sometimes kids can act out because of that, and sometimes kids are seem completely normal at school. Jamil, that is a very interesting part. We don't talk enough about the impact, particularly for teenagers, um, that parents divorcing and going through conflict can really have on a kid's mental health, emptiness, 
and stability. Well, first off, I want to start off by saying that I think mental health, this need or to bring more awareness to mental health is just a pipeline to put kids in the pockets of big pharma. I, so I know so many Gen Zers, people my age, and I'm 21, who are still on antidepressants, bipolar disorder, um, taking Xanax and Clodopin. We, it's, it's not normal for Western kids, especially because this is a phenomenon only happening in our country where just about every Gen Zer or we know someone that's on so many drugs. And these are not fixing the problem. They are just being normalized. So not only do you have me mental health being normalized, saying it's okay to be coddled and it's okay to be weak, but it's also okay to be on five, six pills you have to take a day. But going back to why the family is so important, I think it, it's a downstream of economic um, stressors such as inflation. When your paycheck seems shorter, you might have conflict with your partner or the person you're married with. And that could also have downstream effects to your child. And ways to fix this, I think it's, again, having children live a, live a structured life, such as being in sports, having things that are meaningful to them, you know, praying with your child, showing them that it's okay to have conflict even between their parents, but then giving them the tools and using their life as a way to sort of carve another path forward. And I think that's what I did with my situation because my father died when I was four. And just having a single mother, I grew up in a conservative, somewhat conservative household. And I knew that there was more to trauma or struggle. I knew that there was, again, we're in America for a reason. And I think that's why we need, I guess, more community overall. Well, well, well when you lost your father at age four, who became the strong father figures in your life? I would say it was myself. I, I've mm. had this conversation with many people mm. my age, and I think it's, you ha sort of have to be lucky, I think, to sort of have the cognition of realizing, okay, I'm the only male figure in my household. I have two sisters and a mother. I wanna be the stable male figure in this household. And then, you know, grow up to be something, like be the father that I didn't have to my own children in the future. So I think some it clicks for some people and for other people it don't. But what it doesn't help is having, I guess you could say leftist and um, sort of celebrities who are inserting themselves as father figures into these broken households and giving them the opposite message that it's okay to not practice celibacy. It's okay to sleep around people you don't respect. And it throws a lot of fuel on the fire. So, so one of the things you said is celebrities becoming the heroes and sheroes to the younger generation, what you're implying is this could be a very dangerous uh, trajectory for young people. 100%. I think when you don't have a stable household, you're more susceptible to a lot of outside influences. And I think since parents are becoming more and more absent, they're not, they're not protecting their children from all the bad influences, especially on social media. I think it's, it's hard to go through this subject without placing blame. And I think just a lot of people have blame in this, especially the parents, in that we have to be more protective about what's influencing children, getting them off of TikTok, getting them off of social media. I think when you, we need to start structuring laws around this and saying, if you are an absent father, we have to tax you more because it's more likely your child is going to grow up and depend on the government system. And we also need a, a national registry on I guess you could say deadbeat fathers so that women know not to be around or, you know, 
not to enable more single parent households, I really do think we need legislators in office to start tackling these things because public shame is so important. And I see things that are happening around Eastern, civili Eastern civilizations and all around the world, and it's not a problem there as it is here. So, Kevin, why is student debt such a major issue for Gen Z? Student debt is, I mean, I personally am blessed to not have any student debt uh, because I had people who cared for me and wanted to set aside a little bit of money so that I could go to school and take it, like, take full advantage of that opportunity. Um, but a lot of my peers are not that fortunate and they don't come from the same backgrounds that I come from or that you may come from. And so they have to get take out student loans. And unfortunately, in this country, it is way easier to get approved for a student loan than it is for a business loan. And it's just the way that it is, unfortunately. And a lot of people are upset due to the fact that they have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a degree so that they can earn some type of living. And then interest adds on, and that interest keeps piling up. So now it turned from $100,000 to $150,000. By the time they're 45, they're still paying off their student. Like my mother, for instance, is still paying off her student loan debt from 40 years ago when she was in law school. Mm. So it's a real issue. I'm not quite sure what the best solution is. I don't think that canceling all the student loans is the best option due to the fact that, I mean, the money has to get paid to somebody. Like, money can't just disappear, we, as we just saw with COVID and inflation. Like, you can't just create money and, and, and exile money and expunge money with the uh, snap of your fingers. It, it doesn't work like that, and that leads to more problems, and I personally don't want any more economic problems. Uh, Gabe, what about social media? Does it have too much influence on your generation? I think... <clears throat> I think social media has a ton of influence on our day-to-day -day lives of kids. We use it right when we wake up. We don't even, a lot of people don't even text anymore. We just use Snapchat or Instagram. Um, we use it all the time. People post every single, some people post every few minutes throughout the day. And it's just a really big part of most teenagers' lives. It's what are this? It's a drug. Go ahead, honestly. go ahead, Kevin. It honestly is a drug. I mean, I see my little brother, who's about 10 years old, and for the past four years, he's been obsessed with an iPhone. Like, he can't do anything unless he has an iPad in his hand or uh, his mother's iPhone in his hand. And it's not helping, in my opinion, anybody, especially TikTok. TikTok is one of the most drug-like apps on the App Store that you could possibly get your kid. Let me go back to Jamil and the cultural issues that he was talking about, because it's fascinating. It seems like anything that you don't want to have any control over, uh, any responsibility for, you can self-medicate yourself, losing weight, an eating disorder. Um, if you don't want to write anymore, go to chat GP. I mean, everything makes us less engaged, and we've moved the responsibility to someone else. And now we have AI. This is going to further push us away, for our own, for, away from our own skills and our ability 
which I think God's greatest creation was mankind, not some AI, some chat GPT. But talk about how, when you say your generation, I, I never realized until you just said it, how many of your people in your generation, and I don't want to say on drugs, but they're medicated to cope. And once, they, they, and once those drugs run out, they have to go back and feed that, feed that, um, that habit again. And we see what the outcome is. Depression, suicide, loneliness, anger, isolation. Jamil? I think it's a, yes, I think it's a failure of the public school system altogether. For most of my life, I was in public school and I was constantly being fed narratives that our country is in a terrible state. And there was an introduction of gender ideology and the tenets of critical social, critical race theory. And the, pro the problem with teaching every kid that as if it's as if it's fact is that for a long time I was a leftist and I believed that I was doomed as a black person in this country. And it did make me sad and I thought for a long time that I would never make it in this country. So it did make, I guess I, it gave me depression for a while. However, as I started to get older, I realized the difference between the people I grew up with in that many of us now that I speak to are doing um, women and gender studies. They're majoring in African-American history and they're spending seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year for these degrees. And they're taking out so much in student loans, getting potential careers that won't pay these degrees back. So I think that addresses your first issue um, that you asked Kevin. One of the solutions I have is we can talk to, we can actually put laws in place to say, if you are graduating college and if you get married and if you are married for if you stay married for three to five years afterwards we can the government will help you pay back your student loans or you know take ten thousand dollars off of it we do need better incentives because at the end of the at the end of the day yes the drugs such as social media and um antidepressants they can medicate you but it's also a reward in some way it's rewarding you to be lazy it's rewarding mm -hmm. you with the with feelings of happiness that you're under some kind of mental affliction. Whereas I think we can have legislators in place or even community leaders to carve out other ways because I may not be 100, like as devoted as a devout Christian as some of my friends, but I can realize when I go to church, those people are happy. The people around me are you know, putting their hands up, they're going on their knees happily. And if social media is bringing a false sense of happiness, there are other ways we can try this. You know, this, this, I want to tell you, I want people to hear what this young man is saying, that he felt he was not good enough because of the hue of his skin, the leftists fed him this propaganda, and then he realized and realized what they were doing. They were trying to make him a perpetual victim. And what he realized, if you study hard, you're going to have setbacks, but if you have a value system, if you make better choices, you can realize the American dream. And, and you're right, we're creating perpetual victims, Kevin. Yes and no. I want to be careful with this certain line of, of speech that we're going, when it's, especially when it comes to mental health issues, just off the simple fact that my generation has gone through some of the worst historical events like possible. For instance, when I was born, 1999, so I'm 24, right? I had to go through the DC sniper, 9-11, the Columbine shootings and all the shootings that led up after that. Uh, my junior year of college was taken away from me due to COVID. Uh, 
irresponsible government spending led to increased inflation. And mind you, my generation was supposed to have one of the strongest economies that we were coming into. Like, we were inheriting one of the strongest economies after the Trump administration. That got wiped out. Uh, inflation started soaring. Interest rates started soaring. So our, my generation, for instance, eight out of 10 people my age have anxiety or, or, or are diagnosed with anxiety. And there are real reasons for this. It's not that we are weak or we're, we feel that we're coddled. It's just there have been actual real life threatening events that happened almost around every door. Also, don't even forget about the 2008 recession. Like, there has been many events that have led up to where we are now, and I don't want to put the blame solely on social media, even though it does act as a dopamine receptor and messes that up. There have been outside circumstances that we have had no control over and no other generation has had to face. That's all I wanted to add on that. Jamil, how do you respond to Kevin? I have to partially di disagree. I would say most of the, let's say 9-11 happened when we were two, three years old, but let's say, for example, if he's right, and that still causes us anxiety. What I would say is focus on the things we can control, such as, I believe, you can fact check me on this, but more children that are Gen, Gen Z are obese than ever. And most of them turns out to be um, children of color. That's something that we can control, getting out there, exercising, having some active hobby that we can we can do. Again, church attendance, especially at, with Gen Zers, it's down, it's at record low. There are so many things that, of course, things happen with any every generation that causes anxiety, depression, but we haven't had a war. We haven't, we ha there's a lot of things we haven't gone through, but there are also a lot of things that we can point out in our own lives to sort of, again, carve that path forward. When did you see the light against wokeism and liberalism? What was it, what was the catalyst for you? So others can learn from your life, because I, I mean, you're saying things here, I'm just, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed as, as a moderator, the things that you're saying, things that I did not expect, but it's, it's so encouraging hearing these conversations. What, what was the catalyst for you? What, when did the light go out and you said, wait, I'm being lied to? I will first start off and tell you that I was a far leftist in high school, went to a really nice private school. I actually earned my scholarship into that school. And I sort of voiced some conservative opinions in class, such as we should have a closed border. We should actually treat our border like we treat our home. All of our homes have a door and they have a lock on it. We give keys to, to people we know and we want inside of them. Like we do sort of a personal background check. And because I said that, I got kicked out of my school's Black Student Union. And throughout every course of the school year, uh, each Black student was banned from talking to me or eating at lunch with me, or I was on the track team and all the Black students would refuse to race with me or sit next to me. So that's when I was just more skeptical, but I was still sort of a leftist, but I knew there was more out there. That's when I went to college and I joined the Chicago Thinker. It's a conservative and libertarian publication, and I had Trump supporters as friends on the Thinker, but I still, I voted for Biden, and we would get into debates all the time. What really turned me to being more of a conservative was getting vaccinated and realizing I was being lied to. I'm someone who remembers things that are, that are being told to me. One of them was get vaccinated to stop the spread, get vaccinated so we can 
achieve herd immunity. And I started to realize, wait, why is the narrative changing? I got vaccinated. So many people are getting COVID. Anthony Fauci told us that breakthrough cases would happen, I think 0.1% of the time, maybe 1% of the time. So I said, okay, that's expected from a vaccine. But then everyone was getting COVID. And each time there was never an apology. There was never a, a concession. In fact, they were actually censoring people that was that turned out to be right in the end. So that's when I took a, a, a big step back and said, okay, government is not your friend. People will say anything to be in power and to make sure they're correct, make sure they are correct in terms of the narrative. So COVID, what happened with COVID was my catalyst into being more of a free thinker. And that's what I think conservative, conservative conservatism really is. Whereas wokeism, it's more narratives being fed to you. And the moment you step away from that, the moment you question their narrative, they instantly turn against you. So Gabe, as a teenager, what are your feelings about diversity and inclusivity? What are your issues about uh, this push of diversity and people are victims and we need these different things in the classroom to make sure that everybody's voice is celebrated and everybody's voice is heard? Well, at my school, I do see a lot of diversity. Um, we have people from all over. I live in South Florida, and I don't really see it being much of a problem. I'm not, I don't really see what you're trying to get at. So, so, so you don't really see color, you see character. You don't really care about somebody's color, somebody's gender. What matters is whether you guys interact and whether you get along or not. I mean, I definitely see it, and I don't think it's a big issue at all. I don't think it should be. So, 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 so Kevin, what about the issue of climate change? How does Gen Generation Z feel about this movement? Um, climate change is one of those sticky subjects because I actually am a little bit passionate about this topic. I do feel that something needs to happen. Something absolutely needs to change because there should be no reason in the world that there have been wildfires that have burned up over a million acres of land this summer just because of how hot it is. And I don't really understand the notion that climate change doesn't exist when we are literally experiencing our climate changing every single summer and every single winter. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of those topics where when it comes to the left, I do see what they're saying. I do believe, however, that in order for us to actually make any big change, we have to have the technology to support it. Um, as you just saw this past year, when Biden decided to you know, stop using American resources and he wanted to import them from other countries, it drove our gas prices up. And the reason for that is because we didn't actually have the technology for him to make the policies that he made. You know, Jamil, the economy and remote work has gained tremendous popularity among your generation. Your thoughts? You said the workforce and the, the economy, economy and remote work. People working from their homes, not going back to the offices, have gained tremendous popularity. And where many corporations are demanding that the employees come back to the office. I actually think we should get rid of remote work for the reason that we have way too many we, we're being held to a lower standard. I think we see this with national test scores failing all the time. 
um, dropping to record lows. We see just in almost every test we measure on a state level as well, decreasing. We see some states, they're getting rid of grading people based off of attendance or late homework. So when we say it's okay to work remotely, it's sort of, again, leading to the coddling of our, our of our mind. I think when you're out in public, when you have to walk to work and wake up to go to that nine to five, even if you have to rely on coffee some mornings, I think being socialized, again, even if you're a young adult, is so important in fostering connections and realizing that there is an outside world. So many people take their lives because they believe that other people have given up on them and not that they have given up on themselves. So we should not be, again, incentivizing isolation. You know, let me, let, me, let me stay with you on this point. You mentioned the crisis in education early on in our conversation. I don't know if you're aware of the Baltimore City school system where 23 schools in the entire Baltimore County and not once in the 23 schools that someone uh, was, prof that was proficient in math, English, and reading. What is the problem in these inner city schools? Why these kids can't learn? It's certainly not race. Uh, so, and, and you cannot blame it on poverty because there are people who grow up in poverty and every day who gets a first-class education and their experiences in, in terms of their backgrounds becomes a springboard for them to, to be, become a, 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 a wizard in the classroom, whether it comes to the English, the math, or the writing. I think it's more so the political parties that control these cities. Most times, the de again, the Democratic Party has controlled these cities for 30, 40 years. And it's time that parents say, if you're not yielding results in our public schools, then we, we need to either go to a school choice where we can send our kids to private schools or different charter schools, or again, vote for different people in office who can actually go take us back to a regimented system. I also think this is a where the problem where liberal arts colleges start in that in America, it seems as though we teach more liberal liberally and that it's okay to not know what you're doing. It's okay to sort of just walk in the wind, whereas everywhere else is more technical and people realize that they're in school to sort of build their future. I see uh, going back to how the issue is not race or it's not even like being poor. There are kids in other countries that only have one textbook per class and they're begging for more resources so that they can come to the United States and go to college and have a degree and then bring back wealth to their own little city. So again, I think it's it's more so the policies being put in place. And it's also families not teaching or reading to their children or enforcing rules at home. I remember being in elementary school and there was an Asian kid in my class who would all, he was the only kid who would, only, would always beat me every single time on every single test. And I was always in second place. So then I spoke to him and I said, so what are you doing at home? And he said, when he gets home, his parents make him study twice for two hours. And then he has to do his chores. And I realized I wasn't studying as well. So I was only able to become competitive and sort of beat him in some of these tests after I started implementing what he was doing and I think we have so many people who are, again, influencing Gen Zers and even their parents to say, it's not okay to participate in a meritocracy. I think we need to bring back actual rules of the meritocracy where, it, where people who are hungry, even if you're in an under-resourced school, you can go out there and fight against the best in the country. You know, um, Kevin Jamil mentioned early on about what, when the light went off, the misinformation on COVID, 
but there's a lot of misinformation that young people are getting in this digital age. How do you combat that? I mean, the amount of misinformation, this is someone who works in social media. It's insane how much there is. I mean, to COVID, to the Hunter Biden laptop, I mean, it. there is no bounds. And honestly, we don't have enough in place to actually circumvent it, especially when the social media giants encourage misinformation and censorship, uh, depending on what you believe your facts are and what they believe the facts are. They don't censor people based off of the truth. They censor people based off of what their political ideologies are, which is something that I got to witness firsthand. Um, and also, uh, there's a point that Jamil touched on that I also quickly wanted to run back on. Uh, when it comes to these elected officials that are mostly Democrat and also mostly black, I feel like in my generation, we're actually starting to see how people are, are taking advantage of our community. And I say that as after watching Joe Biden win this past presidential election, I remember someone telling me, oh yeah, you know Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for him, you're not black. And I thought, how is it that the person who passed so much racist legislature is able to say something like that and people, and he still overwhelmingly got the black vote. Uh, so that's one of the things that woke me up because uh, I was almost a socialist until I witnessed that and then also all of the COVID, uh, all the COVID scandals when it came to the vaccine and it came to all the lies that they told around the vaccine and all the information they didn't know that they just put out just so the American people would do their will. That completely opened my eyes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.